0: Harry R. Truman, now this is not the Harry S. Truman who was the president, but Harry R. Truman was born in West Virginia in 1896. He was a true mountain man at heart, and he moved with his family to Washington State early in life. He was a veteran of World War I. In fact, he was miraculously saved from the sinking when his ship, troop ship was sunk by a German U-boat. After the war, Truman returned home, and eventually he opened a lodge on the beautiful Spirit Lake, right at the base of Mount St. Helens. He operated his lodge for 52 years, until his wife passed away in 1978. In March of 1980, the long, dormant volcano began to tremble and quake, and a few days later began to vent steam from the summit of the mountain. Geologists swarmed over the area, inspecting the mountain, inspecting the area, taking measurements, and determined that Mount St. Helens was about to come alive. They ordered a mandatory evacuation of the entire area, but Truman refused to move. Reporters came and interviewed Truman. They asked him, why won't you leave? Truman told the reporters, if that mountain goes, I'm going with it. This area is heavily timbered. There's a huge lake between me and the mountain, and the, lake is a, the mountain is over a mile away. This mountain isn't going to hurt me. The earthquakes became worse and worse. They were so bad that Truman was knocked out of bed at night. So, unperturbed, he moved his mattress to the basement of his lodge and continued sleeping. On May 18. Of 1980, a 5.1 magnitude earthquake triggered a massive collapse of the north face of Mount St. Helens. A cloud of lava and hot ash exploded out from the mountain with the force of 1,600 atomic bombs. Truman's lodge, Truman and his 16 cats, were buried under 150 feet of volcanic debris, They were never seen again. We've been talking over the past several weeks about the choices that we make. And I've titled this message simply, The Choice of Eternity. The Choice of Eternity. Let's look at another story. The rumor had gone around for a long, long time. Great-grandpa Enoch, the great prophet of God, had named his son with the unfinished sentence, His death shall bring. His death shall bring. It's transliterated in our Bibles with the word Methuselah, but the meaning is his death shall bring. His death shall bring what? But that was many centuries ago, and Methuselah was now getting very, very old. But life was going on as usual. Few thought anything of the dark, dark stories told of yesteryear. Life was good. The economy was up. Crops were coming in. Technology was advancing. The stock market was good. Who had anything to worry about in times like this? Religion? That's for old people. We needed that back in the day, you know, when people... Had to do everything by hand, but now we've kind of gotten past that after all. That was kind of the attitude. Oh, it was still good for some things. I mean, people still went to church. People still believed in God. But it was sort of passe. It was just the thing you did. You know, you had the you had the church that had the, the contemporary worship, and people went there to feel good, to hear great music, to hear inspiring messages. You also had the churches people went to, for a feeling a sense of nostalgia, you know. The the the, the, the older people, you know, they would go there for the sense of yesteryear. Sure, there were people that went to church. But you didn't want to be fanatical about it after all. I mean, you wouldn't really believe the things that God said and like change your life over it, would you? Well, one man did. There's a man by the name of Noah. I find the story, and I'll invite you to turn in your Bibles to the story in Genesis chapter 6. Genesis chapter 6. And I'll begin reading in verse 5. It describes the condition of the world in the days of Noah. But as my brother Steve commented a, a minute ago, we may, might have read this after, out of an evening newspaper today. Genesis chapter 6 and verse 5, And God saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and creeping thing, and the fowls of the air for it repenteth me that I have made them. You see, it says here that God saw the wickedness of man. You know, when we talk about stories like this, it might be easy to think that God saw the things that people were doing and he just got so angry. He just got so angry that he unleashed his judgments of theory on the, the, the wickedness of man. And, and and many times I've read the story and I've kind of had this thought in my mind. But as I go back and as I actually read the story, I get a different picture of God. Not a God of anger and vengeance lashing out at someone who has offended him, but a God with a heart desperately in love for his wayward children. The heart of a father who longs over his children and grieves over the path that they have chosen, a path of rebellion and wickedness, a path that God in his infinite wisdom knows will in a short time lead to their utter destruction. God did not need to destroy the world by a flood to put an end to these sinners, They were fast on the track of self-annihilation. Had the world gone on much longer, humanity itself would have destroyed itself. We would have destroyed ourselves long ere this. Except for one thing. God looked down and he looked at the people on this earth. And he found one man. One man, not Someone who was perfect in the sense that we think of of, of perfection. It says, Noah was perfect, not in the sense that he had no flaws, because you look at his life, we see that he did. But one man whom God could work with. One man whose heart would respond to the grace of God. It says in Genesis chapter 6 and verse 8, but Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord, and so God devised a plan whereby he could save Noah. And through Noah, he could save the human race. Yes, the plan would involve a flood, but the plan would also involve a great big boat. Hebrews chapter 11, verse 7. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of things not seen as yet, moved with fear, prepared an ark to the saving of his house by the which he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. Amen. Noah was not saved by what he did. Noah was saved by who he believed in. Amen. But his faith found root in the actions of his hands. It wasn't a faith that was a fleeting butterfly that said, yes, yes, I, I believe there's a flood. No, no, it was a faith that found root in his actions. And I could just imagine the conversation between Mr. and Mrs. Noah that day, that next week, after he got this message from God. Noah, dear, what is all that lumber that's being delivered up on the hill behind the house? There must have been ten loads from the lumber yard in the last three days. Did you order something? Are you building something? Yes, as a matter of fact, I am building something. There should actually... They're going to be delivering about twenty more loads in the next few days, actually. Noah, dear, what are you paying for this with oh well i i um i I took a withdrawal from my 401k <laughs> so we're, we're building quite a large um boat, actually uh, uh what Noah, have you lost your mind? Ha- we have a beautiful house. And besides, if you are building a boat, why are you building it at the top of this hill? How big is this boat going to be anyway? Well, about, um, 450 feet long and about 75 feet wide and three stories high. Noah, have you lost your mind? And so it went day after day, year after year. I can only imagine that Noah depleted his entire savings account, building this immense boat in a place where there was no water. And not only his wife, his friends, his neighbors, his relatives, pretty soon the town was coming out and gawking at the sight of this madman with a hammer, building his boat. And every day, with every stroke of his hammer, Noah was preaching A flood is coming. A flood is coming. A flood is coming which will destroy all life on this earth except those who get in this boat. God has told me to build this boat and there is room for you. Just get on the boat. Well, Noah, when is this flood coming? How is this flood coming? We don't see any rain. Did you look at the weather forecast? Sunshine for as many days as we can see. It's never rained. How do you think there's going to be a flood, especially one big enough to float your boat? A flood is coming, Noah said. When is it coming? I don't know. All I know is that God has said to build a boat. And so it went, year after year. I don't know how many years it took Noah to build his ark. But if you read carefully, I believe it was about 120 years From the time God gave him the message until the flood came. And so year after year, it was almost like a, an old, old joke. Everyone would say, Oh, have you seen Noah's boat? The bottom of it is so old. It's starting to, starting to weather and and rot. Well, it wouldn't really rot because the, the, the wood of that day was so, so tight, so hard that it could, it could last for hundreds and hundreds of years. And besides that, he covered it over with tar, with pitch. And, he, and it was watertight. Finally, one day, a strange thing happened. It seemed as though the animals were coming from nowhere, in groups of twos and groups of sevens. No one was leading them. They just came marching silently through the forest, up and into the ark. And the people that had laughed at Noah started looking, what is going on? And a note of fear struck their hearts. Could it be that Noah was right? How is it that even the animals are coming up to his ark? But then a jeer comes through the throng. Ha ha, look, Noah's starting a zoo in his boat. And everyone started laughing. And somehow the laughter took that note of conviction from their hearts. And they laughed all their way back home as the animals were still coming and coming and coming into the ark. And God said to Noah, to his wife, his family, get on the ark. Noah called out one last invitation. Friends, brothers, and sisters, the flood is coming. The animals are here. Please get on the ark. And they laughed him out of town. And God came, and it says there, God came and shut the door of the ark. Shut Noah in. And in shutting Noah in, shut the rest of the world out. But still, the sky was clear. Still, the birds were chirping in the trees. You could hear the sound of music, of mirth, of merrymaking. And for seven days, Noah and his family sat in that ark as it got hotter and smellier and stinkier. But finally, it's the sky clouded over, the thunder began to roll, and those first raindrops began to fall, thicker and faster, and all the mocking throng now stand looking, gazing at Noah's ark. With fear in their hearts, it says the fountains of the great deep were broken up, and for 40 days it rained. Until the ark was taken up in the flood, the waters rose and rose and rose, washing over the low hills, washing through the valleys, finally washing over the high hills and the mountain tops, eventually, covering the top, the tallest mountains and the world that was was no more. Only Noah and his family were saved. Eight souls. Genesis 7, verses 19 to 22, And the waters prevailed exceedingly upon the earth, and all the high hills that were under the whole heaven were covered. Fifteen cubits upward did the waters prevail, and the mountains were covered. And all flesh died that moved upon the earth, both of fowl and of cattle and of beast and every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. And every man... And all in whose nostrils was the breath of life of all that was in the dry land died. You know, I've called this message the choice of eternity. But we could call it the choice of mercy or the choice of grace because I believe at the very heart of the story of Noah is the message that God is love. God is love and because of his desire for love and his desire to enter into a relationship with us. He has risked all of heaven to give us the freedom of choice. Amen. Full freedom, including the freedom even to rebel against him. And though he knows the end from the beginning, yet in his love he restrains his sovereign power to allow us to love him in return. Amen to allow us to choose. And these choices have a very real and tangible impact on our lives, on the lives of those around us, and yes, even on the world that we live in. Some choices, like a watershed, alter the course of our entire lives. But besides the big choices, some of the most important choices that we can make are the little choices that we make day by day, moment by moment. In fact, I would submit to you that the most important choice you can make is the choice that you make right now. Not the choice you can make tomorrow or the choice you made yesterday. The choice that you can make right now. The story of this world is a story of God's love, empowering, inspiring our choices, but freeing us at the same time. A story of God's love, mercy, and grace revealed in a world where God's created beings are constantly choosing to rebel against him. And just like in the story of Noah, in every age, God sends special messages of mercy to a world hurtling on towards self-destruction. You know, God won't force his will on anyone. But in every age, he has a special offer of mercy and grace for those who will choose to accept him. But in every age, that offer of mercy comes in a different colored package. This is the story, the message of Noah's Ark. You see it through the Bible, the distinction between the righteous and the wicked, the saved and the lost, hinges on one choice. The choice to walk in the path of obedience. Or the choice to walk in the paths of our own choosing. Adam and Eve were given one command. What was that command? Don't eat of the fruit of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. They knew about the Sabbath. They knew it was wrong to murder. They knew all these other things. But their choice hung on one decision. Whether or not to eat the fruit of that tree of knowledge of good and evil. In the days of Noah, the choice was different. Yes, it was about All of God's commands, but the key choice, get on the ark. Get on the ark because this is the offer of God's mercy. And if you fail to get on the ark, you will lose everything. In the time of the exodus from Egypt, remember the ten plagues that fell upon Egypt? That last plague was the destruction of the firstborn of every family. There was a choice the children of Israel had to make. The choice to slay the lamb, to, to cover the doorpost with the blood. And then the choice to stay in the house. And the survival of the firstborn hinged on that one choice, to stay in the house. You know, Jonah preached a message of God's judgment. I love the story of Jonah. It kind of goes in a different direction from, from a lot of the stories that you would expect. But, but the story of Jonah is the story of a man sent by God to preach the message of God's judgment to the great city of Nineveh. Forty days and Nineveh will be destroyed. But you know something? Every time God sends a message of judgment to the world, that message of judgment is a message of mercy. If God had no intention of extending mercy, he would have, he would not have bothered to send a prophet. But because he sent the prophet Jonah to the city of Nineveh, God was extending an offer of mercy. One last offer. And the the city of Nineveh repented from the king on his throne to the lowest servant repented in sackcloth and ashes. And the entire city was spared the judgment of God. The message of John John the Baptist was the same message as the message of Jonah. Repent, repent, repent but it had an additional component repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand and in john chapter 1 verse 29 john the baptist says behold the lamb of god which taketh away the sin of the world Amen. and the message of the new testament is a message of god's judgment but a message of god's mercy
1: Amen.
0: and grace through the person of jesus christ his life his death and his resurrection That saves you and me from our guilt, (laughs) shame, and sin. Amen. Truly, the coming of Jesus was the greatest message of mercy this world has ever known. Amen. Acts chapter 15, verse 31. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved. saved. And thy house. This was the message of the apostles in the early Christian church. Acts 4, verse 12. There's no salvation in any other, for there is no other name under heaven, given among men, by which we must be saved. Right. Yes, my friends, this message was all through the Bible, but it was couched in signs and symbols through the Old Testament. But in the New Testament, there is a revealing of further truth, a present truth, the truth of Jesus Christ, Amen. and salvation only in his name. Right. We find that in 2 Peter chapter 1, and verse 12. For this reason, I will not be negligent to remind you always of these things, though you know and are established in the present truth. The present truth is not just the truth that had been true for all ages, because yes, it was that, but it was the truth that was especially pertinent to the time of Paul and Peter and the apostles. The truth that there is salvation in none other than the name Jesus Christ. And my friends, that truth is true for all of eternity. But in the words of the famous hymn, by James Russell Lowell, the, the hymn that we sang this morning, Once to every man and nation comes the moment to decide in the strife of truth and falsehood for the good or evil side. And goes on to describe how truth is progressive. Truth continues to move forward. And if we move forward 2,000 years since the crucifixion of Christ, in the world today, there are over 2 billion people who claim the name of Christ. Amen? That is powerful, that there are two billion people who claim the name of Christ. But sadly, my friends, Jesus also said in Matthew seven twenty one, Not everyone who saith unto me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father, which is in heaven. You see, my friends, it's not enough to simply name the name of Jesus. That's right. We have to do the works of Jesus. And yes, if we had time, we could go through and look at the history of the Christian church and how for ages the the church that took the name of Christ failed to follow the example and teachings of Christ and led thousands, yes, millions of people into a path that went not closer to Jesus, but further away from him. And in the book of Revelation, God describes a time when God's people will face an unprecedented trial, a great showdown between the forces of good and the forces of evil, symbolized by two groups. Those who follow the Lamb and those who follow the great beast, worship his image and receive his mark. We find that in Revelation chapter 13, verses 15 and 16. If you want to turn there, Revelation chapter 13, verses 15, and sixteen, and you know Revelation twelve and thirteen picture this sequence of of great and terrible beasts. There's a great beast in Revelation twelve that symbolizes this the the arch enemy of Christ, Satan himself, and the kingdom of this world that represented his power during the time of Jesus Christ. Revelation thirteen continues on with another beast. It was a continuation of this power through the Middle Ages. And then a third beast, a power that would rise up in an unpopulated area and would come to dominate the world in the latter days of Earth's history. Revelation 13, verses 15 and 16, and he had power to give life unto the image of the beast, that the image of the beast should both speak and cause that as many as would not worship the image of the beast should be killed. And he caused all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and bond to receive a mark in their hand and in their foreheads. And yes, these words strike terror to many, many Christians. The mark of the beast. What is this mark? How can we avoid having this mark? What is it that separates the true and the false worshipers in the end time? Just like the time of Noah, it's a choice. It's not something that's forced upon you without your your choosing it. At the heart of the difference is a choice. Just like in the days of Noah, a choice for eternity. A choice to receive the seal of God, described in Revelation chapter 7. Or a choice to refuse that seal and be marked with the mark of the beast. Those who receive God's seal, those who refuse to be marked by the mark of the beast are faced with the threat of death by all the powers of earth and hell. But those who receive the mark of the beast must face the judgments of God. No one in the end of time gets a free pass. You're in one group or the other. Just as Noah preached of a coming flood. So, today, we see a special significance in Jesus' promise. I will come again. My friends, is Jesus coming again? Amen. Jesus is coming again. And the signs are fulfilling rapidly all around us. Day after day, I see more and more signs. Signs from God's word fulfilling. And I believe, my friends, that we are in the last days, in the last hours of this earth's history. And God has a special message for his people living in the last hours of this earth's history. Just like Noah was given this message to get on the boat because a flood is coming. So God gives to his people a message to give to the world. And it's found in Revelation chapter 14. If you're there in Revelation already, turn one page over. Revelation 14 and verse 7. Fear God and give glory to Him for the hour of His judgment is come. A message of judgment, yes. And a message, to a call to worship. And worship Him that made heaven and earth, the sea and the fountains of waters. This is the message of the first angel. Then Babylon is fallen. This false and corrupt system has fallen. And finally, a choice in the third angel's message there. If anyone worships the beast or his image, receives his mark, he will receive the judgments of God. Will you worship the beast and receive his mark or will you be part of that final group who has the patience of the saints, verse 12, who keep the commandments of God and who have the faith of Jesus? My friends, just as in the days of Noah, So now today, we have a message. Another flood is coming. Not a flood of water, but a judgment of God nonetheless. A judgment that will save those who fear and love him, but a fearful judgment for those who reject him. This world is fast-headed on a path of self-destruction. If God does nothing at all, it won't take much time before we annihilate ourselves, but God will step in and will cut short the work in righteousness and will save all who put their trust in him. My friends, what is your choice? As we read in Hebrews chapter four and verse seven, today, if you will hear his voice today, do not harden your hearts. My friends, the choice today is the choice that Noah gave the choice to enter the ark. Will you enter the ark of safety? Or will you stand without mocking and scoffing? Will you choose to trust Jesus implicitly? Or will you choose to trust yourself? Will you demonstrate your loyalty to God by keeping all of his Ten Commandments? Yes, including the Sabbath Commandment. My friends, this is the message that is at the foundation, at the heart, of this movement of Seventh-day Adventist Christians. Now, I'm not talking about just the Sabbath, but I'm talking about this whole message. The message that Jesus is coming and he's Amen. coming soon. And we need to be ready for him. Amen. And we have a message to give to the world. Let's not stand idly by. Let us, if we believe, he's coming soon. Let us do everything in our power. Yes, we heard about it in Sabbath school, we we're talking about sacrifice. Did Noah sacrifice to build that ark? Did he put every ounce of energy, every dollar and cent from his bank account into building that ark? What good was it going to do him if he left it in his bank account? He put every effort he had into building that ark. And even that was not enough to save him. Only God could save him. But because of his faith in God, demonstrated through his works, God saved his life, and we are here today. My friends, the judgments of God are about to fall upon this world. In fact, I believe that the judgment has already begun in heaven. How must we live in view of these solemn events of time? I fear so many of us, not in words, but maybe in actions. I'm talking about myself so many times in my actions. I say, yes, Jesus is coming, but but my Lord delays his coming. My Lord delays his coming. We've got time. We've got time to have a little bit of fun. We've got time to do other things. And church goes on the back burner. The message of his soon coming becomes a message that one day, I think maybe Jesus will come. My hey friends, is Jesus coming soon? Amen. Are we by our choices choosing to build an ark? Or are we eating and drinking, marrying, giving in marriage, and knowing not until it's too late, that we've not put our energy, we've not put our life into building that ark. Joshua appealed to the children of Israel in Joshua chapter 24 and verse 15. If it seems evil to you to serve the Lord, choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods which your fathers served on the other side of the river or the gods of the Amorites in whose land you dwell. But as for me, and as for my house, we will serve the Lord. Amen. My friends, this is the choice that God has given to us. And rather than singing a hymn from our hymnals, I, I wanted to sing this, this chorus together. But I only want you to sing it if this is what you want. Don't sing it because I'm asking you to, and you should have it in your bulletins. I have decided to follow Jesus. This is a song... This is a song of full surrender, of full commitment to Jesus. In fact, the gentleman who wrote this song, an Indian man, gave his life as a martyr by deciding to follow Jesus. Is this your decision? But no matter what, you will follow him. The world behind me, the cross before you, before me, have you decided to follow Jesus? If that is your decision, I want to invite you to stand with me as we sing together. I have decided to follow Jesus.
1: I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. I have decided to follow Jesus. No turning back. No turning back. The world behind me The cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me, the world behind me, the cross before me, no turning back, no turning back, no none go with me, still I will fall. now to follow Jesus? Will you decide now to follow Jesus? Will you decide now to follow Jesus? No turning down.
0: O Lord and Father in heaven, Lord, it is solemn times in which we live. It's no longer business as usual because another flood is coming. Your second coming is so near. Lord, help us each day to realize the solemnness of the times in which we live. Lord, you've heard the commitment that we have made here today. Lord, we have decided to follow you. No turning back the cross before me, the world behind me. I have decided to follow Jesus. Help us, Lord, to keep that commitment each and every day to keep before us the cross of Christ and the soon coming in the clouds of heaven. Thank you, Lord. May we be faithful, and may you help us to be faithful. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.